0: Hey y'all, happy holidays. Mac Truck here to tell you about a couple new services and products floating around here in the Des Moines area. You know, it's getting to that time of year where we start to need new outfits, new clothing, gotta look our best for Family get-togethers, holiday get-togethers, work functions, things like that. So I encourage you guys to check out In My Bag Apparel by Evan Bradfield. Follow Evan and the In My Bag Apparel crew on Instagram at inmy__bag on Instagram. Again, go ahead and get your orders in on the WhatNot app at EB underscore in my bag apparel for up to $200 worth of credit. Go ahead and tell them Mack Truck sent you. Evan has been working on this line for almost a year or more now, and he's finally got it out. Fresh new looks, fresh new outfits, t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeve shirts, you name it. He's probably got it. Go ahead and check him out on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're looking for a haircut or new do to match your new outfit from In My Bag Apparel, go ahead and check out Truth Barbering Shop, 6563 University Avenue, Windsor Heights, Iowa open 10 p.m to 7 p.m along with that the truth toy drive going on now until december 23rd 2023 bring a toy to receive ten dollars off your service if you have any questions go ahead and give this number a call 515-650-3258 tell the mat truck sent you again get your fresh new outfits from in my bag go ahead and check out evan's line it's a great line i've got some stuff here sitting in the house in fact i'm sitting here in this in my studio right now wearing my big 3x in my bag apparel hoodie and i'm about to go actually book me a haircut here soon with duke and chris Fats, the barber over there at truth barbershop again in my bag apparel instagram the whatnot app for up to 200 dollars worth of credit And Truth Barbering Shop, 6563 University Avenue, Windsor Heights, Iowa. Again, shop hours, 10 p.m. to 7 p.m. Toy Drive, $10 off your service when you bring a toy into the shop for your appointment. If you have any questions, again, go ahead and call 515-650-3258. Welcome in to the Mac Truck Podcast here on Spotify. and Spotify Podcast live here in Des Moines per normal it's the 12th of december 2023 the fact that it's december already has blown my mind and the fact that christmas is like almost in a week and a half i can't even fathom it's wild to think we were just talking about how fast 2022 went by now we're at the end of 2023 heading into 2024 we got a lot of hot things coming up a lot of things happening we got a large show today full of content so I'm going to try to squeeze it as much as I can in the short amount of time that I've got uh, today on the docket. We've got NCAA recap for the past uh, couple weeks, conference championship game results, uh, college football playoff rankings, bowl games, and Heisman winner, NFL recap, and then just some normal banter going back and forth with myself and the crazy thoughts in my head I have sometimes. So let's get into it, NCAA recap Jaden Daniels from Louisiana State University is the new 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. Jaden Daniels joins Joe Burrow and Billy Cannon as a third LSU Tiger player to win the Heisman. LSU's record this year doesn't quite show what Jaden Daniels has been able to showcase with his talents. and It was a close race between one and two between him and Michael Penix Jr., quarterback for the Washington Huskies. LSU's record, uh, again, 9-3. and three. Their next game is the Quest Bowl versus Wisconsin. LSU is a 10.5-point favorite, which, honestly, I personally feel like that should be a little bit larger of a deficit because Wisconsin has just not had the year that they have planned on. Um, Paul Christ gets fired. Um, Tanner Mordecai go, is out with a thumb injury during the Iowa game. So, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be another Big Ten SEC matchup in a bowl game. Jaden Daniels' overall record this far coming into the Quest Bowl game. 3,612 yards, 40 touchdowns, only four interceptions on the season, and a 95.7 QBR, which puts him in first place. Now, the interesting thing about Jaden Daniels is... He started out on the bench having to work his way up like any normal position or quarterback uh, would normally do. However, it seems throughout the past two years, Jane Daniels has just scorched his way to the top, just blasted people and teams with records and yards and scrambling. Um, and the fact that he gave all the credit to his team and especially his online team, is what is what took me over was the fact that most players and people who've never seen a football field or don't touch a football field don't really have a deeper grasp of the game of football don't understand what that means to a quarterback or position player when you have protection and you have time to make those incredible plays and passes and scrambles it starts up front with the blocking run blocking pass blocking on that offensive line and the fact that he thanked his offensive line and Brian Kelly and the coaching staff over and over and thanked his parents, you know, much like any other player who were to get a prestigious award, such as the Heisman, is what did it for me. Jane Daniels is a very humble individual and I admire how humble he has been, even through the trials and tribulations it's taken him to get to this position, um, Still not quite sure if Jaden Daniels has eligibility left. I believe he has one season left, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, though. Um, like I said, LSU plays Wisconsin in the Quest Bowl. Ten and a half point favorite over Wisconsin for that. Here's some of Jaden Daniels' other records, or ratings, rather, uh, throughout the season. So all these these following records are all, or ratings, rather, are all against non-conference and most of these are pretty freaking high when you think about it the in the conference that he plays which is the southeastern conference or the sec um his rating is uh 220.1 which i believe puts him in second or third place in terms of non-conference ratings outside of the conference that he plays completion percentage is 71.7 so just about 72 so About three quarters of the season, he's been completing three quarters of his passes. Um, Passing percentage alone and yards is 1307. So when you think about 1307 yards out of 3612 yards total on the season in non-conference alone is wild. It's, It's wild to fathom because you don't play the same types of defenses and offenses in one conference when you're playing teams outside of your conference. Then his touchdown uh, completions are 15. He has 40 total. 15 of those came from non-conference games. Some schools and quarterbacks, when they play outside of conferences, can't even fathom that. The fact that he's had double-digit touchdowns in non-conference games, depending on the team, is immaculate. And I think that's part of the reason why he got the Heisman and like I said before, it was a, it was a tight race between Michael Penix Jr. and Jaden Daniels. Um, and congratulations to the top 10 of the Heisman battle for two, 2023. I know all those finalists have worked so hard to get to where they're at and to even be considered in the top 10 level in the top four. And then Jaden Daniels at the top. Um, is something to be proud of. It's a lot of hard work to get to where you are. It's a hard, lot of hard work to be considered as a Heisman candidate. So congratulations to everybody this season that has worked and worked to be into the consideration for that. And congratulations to all the college football players who got awards this season. This season has been so topsy-turvy and upside down with the different injuries, the different coaching Coach, uh, coaching changes, adjustments, player adjustments, transfer portal. So congratulations to all of the college athletes playing football right now that have received awards and a huge congratulations to Jaden Daniels for receiving the Heisman and joining Billy Cannon and Joe Burrow as that third LSU player. Moving on to the college football playoff rankings. This conversation has been very sticky for the past two weeks, and I'm going to share my thoughts on it once we go through those top four. So at number one, of course, we have Michigan. Michigan shut out Iowa uh, 26 to zero in the Big Ten Championship to claim the unified Big Ten Championship title. Washington beats Oregon in the Pac-12 Championship, um, which puts them at number two. And then we have spots three and four this is where it gets a little sticky. Texas comes in at number three at 12 and one and Alabama comes in at number four at 12 and one. The argument and debate that has been going on since these rankings have dropped is the fact that LSU or excuse me, FSU with a 13 and 0 record did not make the top four cut. Now, and I fully understand that the college football playoff ranking system wants the four best teams in college football. But then we have to take a step back and look at what the criteria is for the four best. Is it record? Is it player? Is it strength of schedule? Uh, is it points? It's Is it a combination of all of them? If we're going off of just strictly... Let's just say record and strength schedule. Okay. Michigan's 13 and 0, Washington 13 and 0, FSU should be 13 or is 13 and 13 and 0 and should be on that third spot. And it's almost like because Jordan Travis, the starting quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles, um, had a lower leg injury inevitably ending his season and FSU's backup quarterback also getting injured after Jordan Travis gets injured then they have to go to the third string quarterback and I apologize because names are slipping my mind right now in terms of relevancy but it's almost like Florida State is getting punished for their quarterback being hurt well yes the best the best ability is availability it's like they're being punished because Jordan Travis got hurt. And even with Florida State losing both the first string and second string quarterback and moving on to this third string, there's nothing wrong with losing a game or winning a game rather with nothing but defense. I mean, Burger McFarland even said it himself during the college football playoff ranking show uh, selection Sunday. And there wasn't really a drop off from the first two quarterbacks to the third string. If there was, they would have had a, co- a couple losses. It's point blank period. Florida State should be in the top four. Twelve and one does not trump thirteen and zero. I don't care who you are. I don't care which way you try to fucking spin it. Twelve and one does not trump thirteen and zero. I don't care. Because if it were truly the top four, Georgia should also still be in the conversation for the top four. However, Georgia lost the SEC championship to Alabama. Georgia has been the two-time national championship winners in college football. They also got snubbed at spot number six. Florida State and Georgia played each other um, in the Orange Bowl on December 30th on ESPN. The game kicks off at 3 p.m. on ESPN Plus and ESPN. The Dogs are a 14-point favorite, which I think is kind of disrespectful. However, with Georgia being the two-time national championships holders of college football right now, I think it's also fair. I don't think a double-digit over or under was really necessary. However, considering the fact that both of them got snubbed in the college football playoff rankings and Georgia is the current um, national championship winners, I can absolutely see why they did what they did and how they placed how they placed. Now, going back to the top four, when you look at Alabama, Alabama struggled Throughout the first quarter, first twenty-five percent of the season, they lost to Texas in Tuscaloosa. That's why Texas got the number three spot. Texas lost to Oklahoma. So you both you have two teams. Texas who beat Alabama at home, then Alabama beats the national, the current national championships in Georgia, the SEC championship. Then you have Texas who lost to the Red the, in the Red River Rendezvous versus the Oklahoma Sooners. So a lot of lot of red tape there. A lot of red tape there. My other thing is with this whole FSU being snubbed with a thirteen zero record and essentially being punished for losing their starting quarterback um, with very little drop off from one to three is I also personally feel like the college football playoff committee kind of had a feeling or an assumption rather that putting FSU in the top four on selection Sunday that they would have gotten a similar result to the TCU-Georgia game. I think that's disrespectful. I don't think you can base your selections off of the Cinderella, quote-unquote Cinderella team from last year. FSU went 13-0. Literally 13-0. Zero losses currently. You can't assume that a Cinderella team this year is going to have the same result as a Cinderella team from the year before. That's that's so pointless and disrespectful to the teams that have worked hard to assume that you're going to get a similar result. However, I think when you look at it deeper, it absolutely has to do with money and rankings and what teams are going to get the viewership, merchandise, ticket sales, things like that. I can almost guarantee you if Florida State were in the top four at that four spot or three spot, Florida State and Washington would have been a very, very high-rated game. Michael Penix Jr. at that number two spot with Washington. Versus a third-string FSU Jordan Travis-led 13-0 and 0 Florida State Seminole team. That game would have been electric, I could feel, even without Jordan Travis. It's a high-powered offense versus a high-powered defense. That's how they won the Pac-12 championship in Florida State. We have Michigan versus Alabama, though, for that first game on January 1st. Semifinal Rose Bowl. Alabama is favored by one now. Michigan was favored by two at the very beginning of the college football playoff ranking uh, selection show talks. 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. ESPN, January 1st, afternoon cap game. Lots of people that I've seen on social media, sports engines, friends, things like that, general fans, seem to have this notion that Alabama's gonna steamroll Michigan. Frankly, I don't think it's gonna be a steamroller. I think that game is going to come down to the wire. There's gonna be two things that, that factor in for both teams. If you're Alabama's defense, how do you stop Blake Corum? How do you stop Donovan Edwards? Have you stopped J.J. McCarthy? Because if J.J. McCarthy has to throw, he will. The past couple G- games, mind you, J.J. McCarthy hasn't really thrown the ball much. Not sure if there's a reason for that, but why why throw a bunch of times when you have those two big-ass backs in Donovan Edwards and Blake Horm? Blake Horam is the leading rusher for Michigan as it stands right now. He broke that record two games ago, I believe. If you're Alabama's defense, how do you counteract that high-powered offense? On the flip side, if you're Michigan's offense, how do you get past the elusiveness of Kool-Aid McKinstry and the Alabama de- defense? Tell me that. Because I couldn't tell you. I've been studying, I've been studying both of their tapes since this this uh, ranking came out on selection Sunday. That's why I think it's going to be very, very close. It's going to come down to a mental faux pas, or it's going to come down to some mindless penalty on either side. And I'm taking Michigan by three points, and only three points because of how elusive both teams are on both sides of the ball. As far as Washington, Texas is concerned, Texas is favored by like eight points or something, which makes zero sense to me whatsoever. However, Texas has also had their own trials and tribulations. Quinn Ewers gets hurt for about two or three games with a AC joint injury. Um, they're winning games with uh, Archie Manning in the backfield at that, that QB two spot, and then they lose to Oklahoma in the Red River Rendezvous. Michael Penix Jr., who is pretty much a Swiss Army knife when it comes to the sport of football, he can run, he can scramble. He can put your shoulder his shoulder pads into you, if he has to, to get the first down. And not to mention the fact that he's a lefty. So initially when he throws the ball, it's already coming off differently because all his receivers are predominantly right-handed. So being Michael Penix Jr., and he's throwing darts over the, the man zone coverage and cover zero that Sark and the D coordinator down there in Texas like to run, it's going to be interesting. Texas has very good cover corners. Texas' linebacking core, very, very solid. Texas' front four, also very, very sound. However, the Washington Huskies offensive line have kept Michael Penix Jr. clean most of the season. Again, another game that I'm taking Washington for. Again, by three points, just like I'm taking Michigan by three points, it's going to come down to... One, who wants it more for both games. And two, a mindless penalty or a missed opportunity or an opportunity that wasn't seized to the fullest. These two games, folks, are going to be absolutely nuts. I personally can't wait to see it. I think I'm more interested, though, currently as it stands in this FSU-Georgia game. People are so convinced that Florida State, even with a third string quarterback, is going to get steamrolled by Georgia. And be that as it may, some people may be very well correct, but we can't tell it for the future. That's why we have to wait until the game is played. Any given game day. I don't know how many times I've come on this podcast and tried to tell these people. Any given game day. Literally, any given game day, anything could happen. Somebody could rise to the occasion. Somebody could fall to the occasion. I don't think I have to say it no damn more, to be completely honest with you. Moving on to some of the lower bowl games. Iowa gets waxed. 26-0 over the Michigan Wolverines Iowa currently has a 10-3 record I personally am not super thrilled for this this game in terms of being a football fan and being a player I personally wanted like an Oklahoma or a Notre Dame somebody with an equal record or a little bit better record than us, however, and that this is no snub on the Tennessee volunteers because Tennessee has Iowa's number right now, it's two to zero. Tennessee's up on Iowa. Um, the interesting part about this bowl game is Iowa does not have a quarterback right now. I mean, we have Deacon Hill, but Deacon Hill, who has improved throughout the season, hasn't quite improved enough personally for me as a fan and a player to be excited or to put my fandom trust into a Deacon Hill. Joe Milton though, who played for Michigan, who knows the Iowa defense very well, is the quarterback at Tennessee. So Joe Milton already knows somewhat what he's going against. But can you stop it is the question. And can Iowa move the ball? If Iowa can move the ball consistently on offense anyway I don't care if it's passing, running, tight end screens, um, post-corner routes to Edison Estrenga, <laughs> you know, hook and ladders to Nico Ragaini, drag routes to Ortworth, and obviously the punting talents of the Ray Guy winner himself, Tori Taylor, first Ray Guy winner in Iowa history. Um, you know, and everybody or anybody, rather, who has followed Iowa football is a fan of Iowa football. Knows Iowa football. The past couple seasons, punting is winning. Literally, punting yards for Iowa have been Iowa's offense. If Tory Taylor pins the Tennessee Volunteers' special teams back, it's over. I fully, fully believe that. It's going to be really up to, again, the special teams and the defense for Iowa to grab that first win over Tennessee. Um, on, more, on a more personal note, I have a lot of Tennessee volunteer fans, and they were kind of upset with me when I said that I wasn't excited for the game. It's not that I'm not excited. It just isn't super appealing to me. I feel like, and this is also kind of a diss to them in terms of the college bowl games, because Tennessee, I feel like can compete with anybody, but putting them against a 10 and three Iowa team personally to me doesn't really, it doesn't, it, it doesn't go together. It doesn't mesh well for me. However, every time that we have played Tennessee, it has always been either a close game. They have either wiped us out completely in the first quarter, first half rather, and then Iowa decides to turn on, to turn it on and just go. I'm hoping that with this being Brian Ferentz's um, last official game of the season, because he is, again, his contract is not being retained in 2024, I hope they just open up the playbook and just let Deacon Hill or whoever they're going to put at quarterback just drill it. Um, Joe Labus entered the, the transfer portal, um, which I was kind of surprised and kind of not at the same time. You put in Deacon Hill over him and Joe Labus has had won two bowl games for us back-to-back damn near. Um, Spencer Petras uh, is trans- transferring to Utah State. Best of luck to him. Not super fan, but I hope he progresses in his college career. <sighs> uh, January 1st, 2023, 12 p.m. ABC. 10-3 Iowa versus 8-4 Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee is an eight and a half point favorite over Iowa, and some people might find this disrespectful. I actually don't find this as disrespectful as some people do, because Iowa does not have an offense. Iowa's offense has not been super efficient post injuries. K. McNamara, Toney Ciel, um, Luke Lachey, tight for uh, tight end one, and. Eric All, tied in one on the other side Eric All tears his ACL and Luke Lachey has to have I believe tightrope surgery or a little bit more invasive surgery on his ankle he is now walking Cade McNamara is walking I believe Um, Eric All, I still believe has a couple weeks before he is able to start weight bearing on that reconstructed ACL then we have Cooper Dejean who also had a lower leg injury and had surgery who is out I believe if we had one of those four back or two of those four back I believe our record is a little bit better and I believe the point deficit is chopped in half if not two points uh, the other direction for Iowa that's neither here nor there um, this Tennessee game for me personally is gonna be a little bit of a tear-jerker Um, one of my best friends, um, pen pals that I've met through my social media network, um, rest in peace, TJ Laney, um, world's biggest Tennessee fan, like Mr. Tennessee himself. Um, Anybody that listens to my podcast or follows me on social media know exactly who I'm talking about. And honestly, the only reason why I'm getting more and more excited for this game is because if TJ were still here with us, he would be talking all the mess to me. He would be running in his mouth. He, he would just be, he would be in my inbox daily. He would be calling me like, Mac, your team's going to lose. Like it's going to be Tennessee volunteers all day. Old Smokey versus that golden bird. Like he, that would be him. And I think for me is why I'm getting more and more excited for this game. I'm also excited for this game in a football standpoint to see if Iowa can still hang with an SEC team. You know, and SEC fans want to say, oh, Tennessee's the Nebraska of the, the SEC or whatever the case is. Tennessee's a very viable opponent. Um, I just personally wanted a better team, a different team with a better record. However, the closer this game gets, the more I'm getting excited about it. So we're going to see what happens. 1230. Um No. January 1st, 2024, 12 p.m. ABC, Tennessee 8-point favorite for the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Moving on, Iowa State got them a bowl game this year, and I'm excited to see Rocco Beck and Abu Sama 3. I cannot wait to watch this game. 2.30 ESPN+, December 29th, Iowa State versus Memphis. Iowa State's an 8.5 point favorite, which is interesting to me. I didn't think they were going to be that much of a a point different favorite against Memphis. Because Memphis has had a pretty good season. Memphis has been relevant most of college football season thus far. Uh, Iowa State also has had a a good season thus far. They upset uh, Kansas State in the Snowmageddon Bowl. Up in New York, Abu Sama runs for like 300 and something yards, three or four touchdowns. That game was wild. I think this game is going to be kind of a sequel to snow again, minus the snow. Um, Memphis' front seven is where Iowa State's going to have problems. Memphis' front seven is stacked and they load the box almost every other play. Rocco Beck, though, is very, very elusive. Rocco Beck has very good field vision. The second he sees even the slightest soft spot in the Memphis defense in terms of the backfield, it's lights out and somebody's getting a hook and ladder, button button curl, wheel route to the opposite end of the field. Someone's going to be caught slipping. But the offensive line for Iowa State, has to keep Beck clean. The offensive line for Iowa State also has to open up holes for Abu the third to get through and hit those, those long stride runs. If they open up a hole, I'm telling you, it's tutties all day, all damn day for them Cyclones. That game could end up being a blowout in favor of Iowa State. Iowa State's offensive line has to do their job. Iowa State's receivers has to do their job. And the same thing can be said for Memphis. Memphis has to do their job defensively to really have a chance at stopping Abusama the third. It's it's wild when you think about it. But this is why we love sports, folks. College football, college sports in general. Again, any given game day, any given day. Look, I'm telling you right now. This is also why I don't bet on sports. I cannot bet on at least sports that I play or have done, it just feels unpure to me. Every once in a while I will uh, bet, you know, friendly wager, profile bet, <coughs> excuse me, um, profile picture bet, like five or ten bucks with a friend or sibling or whatever. In terms of like big money and Vegas books and MGM and, you know, fan duel no. I because I the betting lines on some of these games has to be so tight. And I often wonder what kind of money comes in when these bowl games are announced in terms of like how many people are, are calling in or plugging in or punching into to uh, you know for which team and I also think that's part of the reason why college football season is like what seems to be the bread and butter in terms of betting season like the kickoff of, of betting season <sighs> moving on though NFL recap, we missed a couple weeks, but we don't have a lot of time left, so I'm going to get into this week's recap and some of the controversies going around the NFL. Started off Kansas City versus Buffalo. Kansas City falls to the Buffalo Bills, 17-20. to 20. Oh, So, the Kansas City Chiefs line up on, I believe it was... Fourth and two, fourth and three. I I can't remember sure. However, Patrick Mahomes drops back, five step drop back, launches a bullet straight to Travis Kelsey. Like, and I'm talking like this thing could cut butter and glass and lightning and time on the interstate. How perfect and how accurate and just how spot on this pass to Travis Kelsey was. Travis Kelsey. Snags that ball and picks up about four or five yards more after getting the first down. Play goes off. Mahomes passes the ball. Kelsey catches it. They fin- finish up the play. And in the middle of the play, side judge throws a flag. Boop. Okay. You know, we're all thinking false start. Something, you know, something manageable. Kader's Tony gets called offsides. And it washes out the whole entire play. Now, I've only seen clips. I haven't had a chance to actually look at the film itself. Uh, And I'm going to do that actually within the next day or two. Hopefully, if I have some time later today, uh, tonight, I can go back and watch that part of the game. Um, I do know, and what I did actually see, was Andy Reid and... Patrick Mahomes losing their absolute fucking mind on the sidelines. Excuse my French, but which is completely out of character for either one of them. Even if they get upset, you can see the emotion and the turmoil in terms of the thought processes when people get upset or frustrated with themselves, frustrated with just things not going right or going their team's way. Patrick Mahomes tossed his helmet. And Andy Reid's face looked about as red as that damn color on his coat and hat. I was like, "Wait a minute, Did, is it? Are we really seeing this right now? Is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid really losing their mind right now?" Like, I was like, "Okay, this is this is a thing. This is a thing." Um, which is unfortunate, but completely understood if the call was actually a bad call. There's been memes around. Um with, like, still shots of the, the play where Kadarius Tony was offside. I've seen a lot of people be like, yeah, that was a perfectly good call. And there's been arguments that Patrick Mahomes has been, had told Josh Allen that we lost because of their officiating or whatever the case is. But this is also why you never leave the decision of a game or a fight or anything like that to the referees and the judges. You have to execute. That game yesterday, from what I've seen in terms of highlights, was a very close game, back like back and forth. Josh Allen had some miscues. Patrick Mahomes had some miscues. Mahomes went 25 for 43, uh, 272 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Josh Allen, similar stats. 23 for 42, 233 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 11 carries, 39 yards. Uh, James Cook, 10 carries, 58 yards. And Then Travis Kelsey, 6 receptions for 83 yards. James Cook, again, on the receiving end, um, 5 receptions for 85 yards and a touchdown. Now, when you, when you listen to those stats or you're reading those stats for that game and those two quarterbacks in terms of offensive efficiency, that's a pretty close game. They almost had the same exact stat line only difference Patrick Mahomes threw for mm, 30-ish more yards, 35-ish more yards than Josh Allen. They both had one touchdown and one interception. I am also wondering not not really if because I feel like at this point with everything in the way that the reactions of the Kansas City Chiefs are circulating, they're going to get a fine from the NFL. I think it depends on like how big of a message they want to send to the Kansas City Chiefs like, oh no, you can't you know, question the officiating or we don't like when you uh, question the officiating, which is true. The NFL does not like when they're officiating and their officials are questioned or uh, complained about. But this is also why we have the appeal process. This is why we have the NFLPA for reasons just like this and situations just like this. Um, so we're gonna see. Uh, I'm gonna do a recap of this situation itself in the next show, and I'm gonna see personally looking at it from a football player's point of view or a coach's point of view. If I were if if I were a coach, to see was he really off the other thing that i keep hearing is that and which is also true as a receiver whether you're a tight end you know z-back h-back if you were out of the backfield and lining up in the formation you always check with the line judge that is a thing the line judge will either tell you you're spot on or you need to scoot up or you need to scoot back because you're on the ball or just over the ball From what I've been hearing and seeing, Kadarius Tony did that and got no confirmation one way or the other. If that part is true, why why did you throw the flag if there was no confirmation whether or not he was on or off or, you know, had room or didn't have room? Make that make sense to me. That's why I can't state personally or... Not one way or the other, how I feel or my thoughts on it. I just know this whole thing right now as it stands is a controversy. That is a thing. But that's a story for next week. Moving on. Next game. Seattle falls to the San Francisco 49ers, 16-28. to 28. Drew Locke comes in for Geno Smith, who I believe is in concussion protocol or has that thumb, that... Throwing hand, thumb is still bothering him. Drew Log played a decent game. First start for the Seattle Seahawks. 22 for 31, 271 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Brock Purdy. 19 for 27, 368 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. And the interception was literally because the ball tipped off at Debo Samuel's fingers. Zach Charbonnet. Nine carries, 44 yards. Tyler Lockett, six receptions, 89 yards. Christian McCaffrey, 16 carries, 145 yards. Debo Samuel, one touchdown, seven receptions, and 149 yards. That game also, just listening to those stats, very, very good game. Obviously, San Francisco comes out with the win. They still are in first place in the NFC alone at 10-3 record. Seattle still on the hunt for a wild card spot. I think it's interesting how we, and I'm not going to use the word hype up, but essentially that's what it is, how we under hype or over hype certain players because of their draft stock, where they landed, what school they went to, blah, blah, blase, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. Brock Purdy, while he may have been Mr. Irrelevant with that very, very last pick um, in the draft two years ago, these stats and the fact that he's broken so many records. And he's 13 and two overall, I believe. 13 and two. 14 and two now. Brock Purdy is just a simple dude from Arizona. Went to Iowa State, crushed it at Iowa State. Now he's crushing it and killing it in San Francisco and has all the right parts in an offensive line that genuinely keep or generally rather keeps him clean. The only other team personally, and I'm this is not me being a homer, I'm not being a like a irreal like an unrealistic fan, anything like that. The only other team that I see even coming close to what the San Francisco 49ers are doing are the Dallas Cowboys. And they they beat the crap out of the Dallas Cowboys, like beat the living hell out of them. In Santa Clara, California. In their home stadium. NFC matchup game. And to be honest, after we talk about the next game on my docket, I fully, fully believe that the NFC Championship goes through Dallas and the 49ers. I think that's how that game goes. It'll be the 49ers. It'll be a rematch against the San Francisco 49ers. And the Dallas Cowboys from this season, this from earlier this season in Santa Clara. Only difference is both teams from from that game from that first matchup have changed. San Francisco went on a three game losing streak. Dallas has not lost since that game. They are 10 and 3. As of Sunday night. That's wild to even think about. Seattle, as I stated, still in the hunt. Right now, Drew Locke is at the helm. If they win out, I think they can grab a wild card spot. It's gonna take a lot of work though. If I'm Pete Carroll, excuse me. If I'm Pete Carroll, I have to start looking at my tight ends again. I have this big guy named Noah Fan. 6'5, 240. Went to Titan University along with George Kittle, Sam Laporta, TJ Hawkinson. All four of them came from Titan U. All four of them have made tremendous marks in the the NFL. So if I'm Pete Carroll, why am I not taking more advantage of that? Literally, why? Put them on the line, block You Use them as a blocking mechanism. You know, stop and go routes, block and go routes on either side. You could even set him out on a long route if you really wanted to match him and Tyler Lockett on, on opposite sides, crossing routes. Bang, right there. You got to. Some of these coaches and teams, I feel like, don't know what they have until it's too late or too far into the season, rather. However, trials and tribulations and trial and error is what creates the narrative for some teams and games. Moving on, final game here, NFL recap. Sunday night, prime time. Philadelphia Eagles come to my Dallas Cowboys in Arlington in AT&T Stadium. Up until Sunday night, Dallas is undefeated at home. Philadelphia had our number from earlier this season. Beat us on a another what seemed to be controversial. Not really call, but... Unfortunately, Dak Prescott runs for that, tries to run for that final touchdown to seal the deal. Steps out of bounds. This time, we're in Arlington. Tables are completely turned. Mind you, the Eagles, who just got the crap beat out of them by the San Francisco 49ers, are coming for vengeance. Dallas beats them by 20 points. 33-13 in Arlington. Jalen Hurts. 18 for 27, 197 yards. DeAndre Swift, 11 carries, 39 yards. A.J. Brown, nine receptions for 94 yards. And we're going to get back to A.J. Brown in a second because I'm a little, ooh, if I were Stephon Gilmore, I would be, I would have felt so disrespected. And I, ooh, we're, we're just, just know that we're going to get back to that here in just a second. Dak Prescott, 24 for 39 yards, 207, 24 for 39 272 yards, two touchdowns. Tony Pollard, 16 carries, 59 yards. And Jake Ferguson, him, him, Jake Ferguson, five recessions for 72 yards. First of all, Jake Ferguson is a dog. I don't care what nobody say. Jake Ferguson is that dude. Like, he does not care. He will go up against anybody. Like, in fact, if y'all follow me and y'all have me on social media, one of my pages has Jake Ferguson flying over um, over the defensive back from Sunday night's game in the color altering uniforms which are one of my favorite uniforms. Dak Prescott is on fire right now. Everybody want to underestimate Dak Prescott because you know he had to he had been foreshadowed by Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott is in New England now. It's been the Dak Prescott show. Dak Prescott has shown that he can lead the team as as QB1, as that captain. With Mike McCarthy calling the plays, and I think personally, and it's no knock on Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore has done so much for the Dallas Cowboys up until last season. I think the direction that the Dallas Cowboys want to go, which is obviously to get back to a Super Bowl and become relevant again in that aspect you had to make a move somewhere. Going off of Mike Mike McCarthy's record, rather, in Green Bay, he was calling all the shots offensively. Got him a ring in 2011 with Aaron Rodgers. If anybody pays attention to football, mind you, I hate the Green Bay Packers. For the record, as a fan, y'all can kiss my entire butt. Y'all irritate me, and I can't stand it. Y'all cheese balls have nothing better to do than holler, go, Pat, go. That's besides the point. You follow the track record of Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy has called all the plays since Aaron Rodgers got there. 2011 Lombardi Trophy for the Cheese Cheeseballs. This is the same track that he went on in 2011. That he's going on now in 2023 with Dak Prescott and the offense that he has. He has so many weapons on offense, it's ridiculous. You have Dak Prescott, who can scramble very well, mind you. In fact, I think he's a little bit better of a scrambler now than when he first started. You have C.D. Lamb, who has solidified himself as the number one receiver for Dallas and a very viable argument for the best receiver or one of the best receivers definitely top five in the NFL itself you have Michael Gallup who has had a couple injuries but is now starting to re himself as a solid viable target Jake Ferguson who I don't care what nobody say between him and Brandon Cooks Jake Ferguson is like 2A Brandon Cooks is also 2A when it comes to the pecking order of receivership you have Tony Pollard Who's finally starting to find himself as a running back, wide receiver type? He can run, he can run through, run through the tackles, run between the tackles, he can run outside the tackles, he can run up the middle. He will, he's like a bowling ball. He will put his shoulder pad into you and run straight through you. You have to stop him for him to stop. Very Zeke-esque, but very much different. Rico Daudu. Absolutely the same type of MO just taller and a little bit a little bit quicker on his feet. Brandon Cooks, that may be making tremendous plays. I don't care. I don't know what he eats for breakfast on a daily damn basis, but I need some of that in my life. I need some of that. I need some of Brandon Cooks, whatever he got, I need. Then we flip it over to the defense, that damn Dallas defense. Every time they play, I just, I still be blown away. And I've been watching them my entire life. But I've never seen, in my estimation, other than the Charles Haley era of Dallas defense. I have never seen a Dallas defense in this day and age be as sound and as efficient as they are currently at it stance. Stephon Gilmore, who has been shipped around team to team and has finally, I feel like, found his place in the Dallas defense, Dan Quinn's triple cover defense zone man mix that he loves to run. Stephon Gilmore got disrespected by A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown looked him dead in the face and said, you old. <laughs> Stephon Gilmore would not have a none of that. Not having none of that. If you watch the, those plays every time, Stephon Gilmore cover corner. Every time. A.J. Brown did not get one damn touchdown. Not a one. And the one touchdown that he almost got got swatted away like a fly in the summertime. Swat! Out of here. Get out my face, fam. Stefan Gilmore was not about to let you disrespect him in their house. Are you playing, A.J. Brown? Get up out of here with all that mess. Now, the Eagles still control their own destiny. People are saying that Dallas has the easier part of the, the last four games of the season while Philadelphia has the harder part i think it's backwards dallas has to go into buffalo and beat buffalo dallas then also has to play miami i believe in arlington then they play the lions i believe that's at fourth field but i'm not positive then they have to go to washington and beat washington again they've swept the giants already we're gonna get to that game here in just a second in the last couple minutes of the pod but they have to go to Washington and beat Sam Howell. Sam Howell's a very good quarterback. Okay, Terry McLaurin. Rockstar. Rock star. But Dallas is on a tear right now. Dallas knows what Dallas want to do. Dallas will have their way if they play their cards right and keep being consistent. If the Eagles get on a tear, it's going to be scary. But that's if they can. That's now two games back-to-back that the Philadelphia Eagles have lost. They lost at home, got their ass beat by the San Francisco 49ers. Then you come into Arlington thinking y'all was going to arrange that loss. No, y'all got curve-stopped by 20 points in Arlington. But that's neither here nor there because that's what football's about. That's how the game is played. It just happens. Sometimes teams go on tears and then lose three games like San Francisco. Or you go... Pretty much undefeated, and then again lose to two division rivals and co- and one conference rival. So you split with a conference rival or a division rival rather, then you lose before prior to your conference rival at home. That's that's wild. That's wild. Anywho, moving on. Just extra game. Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito. I think Tommy DeVito is the best thing that's happened to uh, Daniel Jones and those New York football giants. Absolutely. Tommy DeVito was at home about a month ago, maybe a little less, eating PBJ and at his mom's house, you know, eating dinner. Like the family guy that he is gets a call from the team that he was drafted to. Hey, we're activating you okay Tommy DeVito's been on a damn tear ever since that kid is about (laughs) as Italian as it gets and the fact that he's playing three or four miles from where he grew up that kid is killing it and he killed it against the Green Bay Packers last night at home and Green Bay honestly is not no joke as much as I don't like them Jordan Love has been out here on a tear too Records don't quite show it, but the Giants, when beating the Packers at home with third string or second string quarterback in Tommy DeVito, and he's really just here to play the game. Like, he's just like, you know, we're here. When we're at practice, we're at practice. It's about the boys. He said, I give all the credit to the boys. And I just think that Tommy DeVito is freaking amazing. Like,. he played he when he played at illinois i was like yo that's a he's a good quarterback like he just you know didn't have pieces things happened you know stuff happens it, it really does i like i said going back to my point earlier we tend to overplay or underplay the abilities of college athletes, college football players, because of where they went, where they got drafted, things like that. Two prime examples. Brock freaking Purdy and Tommy freaking DeVito. Two prime examples. Literally. And with that, folks, it's been the Mack Truck Podcast here on Spotify and Spotify Podcast. Tuesday, December 12th, 2023 dark Tuesday evening here in Des Moines. I'm your hostess with the is Mackenzie Brooks aka The Mac Truck aka Your Worst Nightmare. Follow me, call me, beat me if you want to pod me. If you don't know how to pod, bang that follow button. Share it. Like it. Ask me questions. Leave me feedback. I got some big things coming for 2024. The next episode, I'm hoping to do a completely different type of episode. Some people... May already know where I'm going with this. Some people may not. But you'll just have to tune in and follow and see. Other than that, we out. I got to go get a snack and feed my back fat. Peace.